All right. Well, again, as Graham said, good morning, and we just continue saying good morning. <laughs> but uh, just, as always, so grateful to be together this morning. As we uh, um, go through our sermon this morning, we encourage you, if you're watching online, to um, interact, ask questions, those kind of things. And if you're here in the room, then um, write down thoughts and questions or the things that maybe that God is teaching you and, and share those um, after, after the service or during the week sometime. But um, again, so grateful to, to be together this morning. So we're beginning a new series uh, from the book, uh, actually the books of Corinthians in the New Testament. Um, and kind of the subtext for this series is imperfect church and perfect Savior. And this series will be an overview of some of the major topics and themes in the books or the letters of First and Second Corinthians. So we're going to look at things like unity, generosity, um, using your gifts, purity, suffering. We're going to look at some of these topics that come out of these letters. Today we're going to be talking about the contrast between human wisdom and the power of God. So the church at Corinth was an imperfect church. They had all kinds of issues. And we're going to see how they come face to face with um, sinful patterns and problems within the church and how they are called to turn away from their sin. So as we go through this series, kind of the, one of the main themes we're going to be seeing the whole time is this, is the gospel is the answer to the sin and brokenness that we face in our lives and in the church. So the church at Corinth was imperfect. And we can learn from them, too, that we are also imperfect. We don't have it all together. We're imperfect, and our only hope is in a perfect Savior. Our only hope is in Jesus. And so over these next weeks, as we go through First and Second Corinthians, I invite you and encourage you to read through it on your own. During the week, read along with us. Read through these two letters. It helps give a bigger picture of what's going on, and you can um, be right there with us. If you want more resources, um, talk, to, talk to me or Graham or one of us and let us know, and um, we'll help find uh, resources if you want to dig even deeper into First and Second Corinthians. Corinthians. See if I can learn to speak this morning, All right? Um, so if you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That's in the New Testament. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So we're going to get some context here before we read. And so this is going to be a little bit of context for the whole series as well as for this morning. And so 1 and 2 Corinthians were letters written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the Greek city of Corinth. Uh, if you go to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 18, it gives us the account of how, <clears throat> how Paul went to Corinth, and he preached, and he established this church there in Corinth. Paul lived there for about 18 months, um, so he knew the city. He knew these people well. Many of them were very dear to him. He was very well aware of what was going on. He knew them well. And so there's a lot of correction and discipline going on in these two letters, right? How many people love correction and discipline, right? We don't always love it, but often we need it, right? So there's a lot of correction and discipline. And many of the things that Paul addresses are in response to ongoing issues or problems within the church at Corinth. So the city of Corinth um, was at the heart of an important trade route in the ancient world. And like many cities that thrive on trade, even today, um, Corinth had a reputation for sexual immorality, for various religious beliefs, very pluralistic in its belief systems, a lot of corruption. There was all kinds of stuff happening in Corinth. And these letters to the Corinthians give insight 
into the challenge of living the Christian life in what in their day was a very pagan world. And it's very similar for us today. How do we live the Christian life in the midst of a society and a culture that does not celebrate that? So it has a lot to say to us. And so one important thing, though, to think about when we look at Corinthians, there's all these issues and problems, but we've got to remember Paul is writing to the church, to the believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, he calls them saints. This is important to remember as we go through the series that in all of their brokenness and all of their sin, they are in Christ. And Paul says, you are saints. So Paul is dealing with these issues that are in the church. So it's very important for us as a church today. So here in 1 Corinthians, um, what we kind of, I'm going to catch you up to speed. Paul greets them and then very quickly addresses the issue of some divisions that were happening in the church. There were these factions and rivalries over, you know, the church of who was following who and which teachings were the most important. They wanted to listen to whoever was the most important, intelligent, and influential. They were seeking to hear from these voices, and there were different people coming in and preaching and kind of draw attention to themselves. So this is the background for our passage today, and where Paul comes in, and his desire is to cut through the noise of the division and point everybody back to Jesus. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to read in verse 18, and we're going to go all the way through um, chapter 2, verse 5. So you can follow along in your Bible or on the screen with us this morning. Everybody awake, ready to go online? Are you awake? If you're uh, relaxing on your bed this morning, you can wake up and listen. Here we go. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since, in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Chapter 2. Paul says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Let me pray for us again this morning. God, would you speak to our hearts through your word? Holy Spirit, would you bring to light your word this morning? God, that we would hear and respond and walk in obedience to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, so I enjoy um, The Lord of the Rings. And if you are a purist, then you can look down on me because I've never read the books. I've seen the movies multiple times, but I've never read the books. So if you have comments about that, please let me know. It's okay, I can take it, right? Um, so how many, you can comment online. Are you a fan of Lord of the Rings? Are you not a fan? Or like maybe it's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So in the room, anybody a fan of Lord of the Rings? Okay, anybody not or just like don't really know what's going on? That's okay, it's fine. You don't have to be, right? Um, so, if you're not familiar with the story, one of the main characters is a hobbit named Frodo. Now, hobbits are these strange fictional creatures, sometimes called halflings because they are about half the height of humans. And they live in these holes dug into the side of a hill in, the place, in a place called the Shire. And they live these wonderful little lives, and they have these huge, hairy hobbit feet. And they're kind of weird creatures. But anyways, in the world of Lord of the Rings the whole like story and all the characters and things going on there, they are very unlikely heroes. And yet as the story goes, these weak, insignificant hobbits end up being the heroes. It's a great story, okay, but it kind of illustrates something that we see in God's Word and we see in Scripture this morning, is that God uses the weak and insignificant to accomplish His purposes. See, often we are attracted to what's impressive. We're drawn to what's cool, to what's in, right? Those who are powerful, good-looking, wealthy, well-spoken, brilliant, skilled, the influencers, the connected, sought-after, and celebrated. Like, we literally get our word celebrity from those who are celebrated. And there's a temptation to think that this is what matters, right? This is what gets the attention. We think that we need to be cool or impressive in order to matter. And that whole game, if you've ever played it, is exhausting. It's exhausting to try to keep up with that. But the kingdom of God is not about human strength and wisdom. In fact, it's the opposite because as Christians, we don't depend on our own power, but on the power of God's Spirit in us. And so the scripture that we just read this morning shows us that what God is looking for is different than what the world is looking for. And instead of being exhausting, it's exhilarating. Because Jesus is inviting us freely to himself. And we don't have to try to get ahead, to prove ourselves, to achieve, to keep up. We simply come to him in all of our mess, in all of our weakness, even in all of our sin. Because it's in Jesus that we find life. This morning in our sermon, the main idea that we want to see is this, is that God uses what seems foolish to demonstrate his power. God uses what seems foolish to demonstrate his power. We've got three points and four applications. If you're doing math, that's seven, but don't worry, it seems like a lot, so here we go. Um, The three points that we want to look at this morning as we walk through this scripture. The first one, the cross seems foolish, but it's the power of God. Secondly, the world looks for strength, but God chooses the weak. And thirdly, the world wants to be impressed, but God works through His Spirit. And each of these kind of corresponds with one of the segments of Scripture. So we're going to start looking at verses 18 through 25. The cross seems foolish, but it is the power of God. 
We look at verse 18 and it says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. And what that means, the word or the message of the cross seems crazy to the world. What is the message of the cross? The message of the cross is that a holy God sent his son to live a sinless life and die to take our sin upon himself. And the world looks at that and says, what? That doesn't make any sense. That seems foolish. But to those of us who have tasted and seen of the goodness of God through Jesus, this is the power of God. This is where our hope lies. And this is so true. And you probably know this to be true as well. This idea that Jesus, the Son of God, gave his life on a cross 2,000 years ago to satisfy the wrath of God towards sinful humanity, it seems absurd to so many people. But to those of us who experience this grace, this forgiveness, we know it's the power of God. We've had conversations, and it's a sad reality where people say, like, how could you be a Christian? That doesn't even make sense. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And so we pray for God's open hearts because it is a work of God's Spirit that moves someone from saying the cross is foolishness to saying it's the power of God. It's only God's Spirit in us that opens our heart to see, whoa, no, the cross is not foolishness. It is life. It is the power of God. And we look down... In verses 22 through 24, we see this again. And he's talking about, he says, hey, the Jews are looking for signs. They're looking for miracles. The Greeks are looking for wisdom. But Paul says, no, we preach Christ crucified. And it's a stumbling block to both Jews and Greeks. He says, but for both Jews and Greeks, for those who believe, it's the power of God. The Jews wanted to see signs and miracles. The Greeks craved wisdom. But Paul preached Christ crucified, a Savior who, by all human standards, failed. Right? Just imagine if you're just looking at this from like a human perspective, you're like, yeah, there was this guy, Jesus, he lived a long time ago, and then he was put to death on a cross. And if the story ends there, it looks like a failure. But we know that it doesn't, that he rose from the dead conquering death. But the, Jew, the Jewish people, Paul is saying, they can't get past this. Because for them, the cross, crucifixion, was seen as a curse. Scripture says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And for the Jewish people, this was unthinkable. It was a stumbling block. For the the Greeks, they think it's crazy because they they would say, how could a God stoop so low as to become human? A God would never do that. And so there's this stumbling block. There's this barrier for people saying, I can't get over this. I can't just, I can't figure this out, how the cross is meaningful But Paul says the cross is the power and the wisdom of God. Verses 19 through 20, we get this kind of dialogue going on where where God's saying, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And there's this rhetorical question that says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? And Paul is helping us see that worldly wisdom pales in comparison to God. It's as if Paul's saying, hey, where are you at? Stand up. Who's, who wants to come and try to measure themselves up against God's wisdom? It's like, any takers? Anybody raise your hand? Right? And Paul's making a point here that everything, every bit of human wisdom pales in comparison to God. Verse 21. It's a little bit confusing language here. It says, For since, in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. A lot of commas, right? Um, God was pleased to save those who believed through the foolishness of what is preached. What's Paul saying? Paul says, he's saying, it was God's design that we can't, as humans, just figure him out. That we can't just work our way to salvation. Because it's pleasing to God that those who come to him do so out of deep humility and faith 
and need. This is God's design. God did not set up a system where humanity can just work hard and figure it out and make their way to him. God set up this thing that looks like foolishness. God set up this system that is give up. Realize that you can't do it, but God has done it for you through Jesus. In verse 25, again, it's interesting. He says, the foolish, God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Does this seem weird to anyone? Seems strange? It's like, what's he talking about here? Does God have foolishness? Does God have weakness? Well, no. God has no foolishness. God has no weakness in here. And so what Paul is highlighting here, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, as if to say, if God had any foolishness or weakness at all, he would still be wiser and stronger than the wisest, strongest person you could find. Paul is simply giving us this picture of this contrast between the greatness of God and the limitedness of human wisdom. So in verses 18 to 25, this whole segment, Paul is highlighting Christ crucified. The death of Jesus on the cross was not the world's idea of power or victory. Because on the cross, Jesus humbled himself, became obedient, even to the point of death. On the cross, he died so that we could live. And following Jesus is not about humanity, us making our way to God. It's about Jesus coming towards us and paying the price for our sin. So the cross and the message of the cross seems foolish if you look at it from a human perspective, but Paul says it is the power of God. Point number two, the world looks for strength, but God chooses the weak. Verses 26 through 31 here. So the church in Corinth was a mixed bag of people. There were a few rich people. There were a lot of poor people. Some were slaves, some were free, some were the haves, some were the have-nots. At the same time, they also they were a fairly new church, surrounded by a pagan city, so they weren't this big, powerful, influential thing. And they're trying to live out their new faith in Jesus. And so Paul wants them to see this as a good thing, that God has chosen the weak and the unimpressive. In this segment here, Paul points out that from a human perspective, they are not that impressive. If you can imagine receiving this letter from Paul and being like, well, thank you, Paul. Thank you for pointing out that we are not that impressive, right? But it's true of us as well. And he says, hey, listen, the people in the church of Corinth, he says, not many of you were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth, right? They weren't high class. They weren't high society. They didn't have power and influence or wealth and nobility as individuals or as a church. They didn't have that. And instead, God has chosen what the world sees as weak or foolish to put to shame the strong and the wise. And Paul is showing them that if they had come, when you move down to verses 28 and 29, he tells them, like, hey, if you had come to Christ out of your own smarts and influence, you would simply then just boast about it. You'd say, hey, look what I did. You'd take all the credit. But But Paul, in verse 30, he reminds them of the gospel. He says, no, the only reason you are who you are is because of what Christ Jesus has done. In verse 30, it says, it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Paul's saying, the only reason reason that you are in Christ is because of what he has done, not what you have done. And so, we can boast in the Lord Paul wants the church at Corinth to see the glory of Christ and his work in them in comparison with their weakness. 
that everything good in them was a work of Christ, which leads them to boast in the Lord, to say, look what God has done. Not look, not look what we have done. Look what God has done. So for the church in Corinth, just like us, they're surrounded by a culture that looked for impressive intellect, that looked for well-connected people, the in-crowd This is not what God is looking for. God chooses the weak. Now, I would say as a side note here, is it wrong to be smart? No, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is talking about the order of things here. He's saying, hey, learn, grow, be brilliant, use your skills, use your gifts, but understand that everything you have comes from the Lord. And we approach God with a humility, with a weakness of saying, man, it is not me that has figured all this out. And if we put our trust in our brilliance or our intellect, we put our trust in how much I know or how much I can do, we're going to see that it leaves us empty because God uses though uses those who come to him poor in spirit. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That when we come acknowledging, yes, I have gifts, I have skills, and we all have things that God has gifted us and skilled us in, but when we bring those things in humility and say, God, it's all from you and for you. God, would you use my weakness? Would you use me even though I don't have it all figured out? Point number three. The world wants to be impressed, but God works through his spirit. All right, if you're online, you tracking, you good? Remember, you can say hello and interact as we go through the sermon this morning. I get to talking and forget to look at the camera. So again, good morning, here we go. Point number three, the world wants to be impressed, but God works through his spirit. So we come to chapter two, verses one through five, and Paul, he kind of is telling the Corinthians his, his strategy, which is really more of like a non-strategy. It's not one of impressing, but it's a strategy of humility and Jesus. Paul's saying all that Paul did when he came to Corinth, all he did was to draw attention to Jesus. He, says, he said, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is how Paul came to them, in humility. Now, in reality, Paul was brilliant. He had trained and learned with the best scholars. There are parts, there are places in the book of Acts where he can can preach and teach in different ways that are logical and different ways that are bringing these arguments of who God is. And Paul was brilliant. He actually could have come in his own wisdom and strength, but he brought the gospel to the Corinthians, not in his human, not in his wisdom and strength, but with humility, not trying to persuade them with his well-thought-out logic. He said, listen, I decided to know nothing. I came only pointing to Jesus. Paul simply and clearly preached the message of Jesus, who Jesus was and what he did on the cross. How many people have ever watched a TED Talk? Right? That's the opposite of what Paul did, right? Paul did not bring a TED Talk to the Corinthians to say, well, you know, this is the problem and this is the solution and this is what you do. No, Paul came and said, this was not a TED Talk. He says, I'm coming in a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? It tells us in verse 5, so that their faith would not be based on human wisdom, 
but on the power of God. This was a culture that craved new ideas and new thinking and new things. And if Paul brought some new, interesting, well-thought-out thing, then people would latch onto that and say, oh, we follow Paul because he teaches this. But Paul says, no, it's not about me. I'm preaching Jesus, and we need to see a demonstration of the Spirit's power. We need this, how we need this in our lives and in our church. We need the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. We need to see the, the, the power of God in our lives and in our church. Because the methods and the wisdom of our world are constantly shifting and changing. I've probably, you probably, you know, if you see like articles on Facebook, you see something one time that says, you know, why you should be drinking less coffee, and then like a year later, why you should be drinking more coffee, right? This is the wisdom of the age. It's constantly shifting and changing. We don't need that. We need the power of the Spirit to draw hearts and bring people to Jesus. That's my prayer for my own life. That's my prayer for our church. And I would ask you, join us in praying that. God, could we see your spirit moving in our lives, in our church, in our community? We don't need human wisdom and brilliance and good ideas. We need Jesus. We need the spirit of God awakening hearts and people turning to him and putting their faith in him. That is our prayer. That is our desire. Why? So that God gets the glory, so that God gets the attention through anything and everything that we do. The world wants to be impressed, and there is the temptation for us to want to be impressive. But what we really need is the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us and giving glory and attention to God. Because God uses what seems foolish to demonstrate his power. All right, what does this look like in our lives? I want to look at four things this morning um, to make this practical, make it personal. So I would encourage you to think through this at a personal level. First thing is this, look to the cross. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 18, where Paul says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. The cross is is the power of God to those who are being saved. In this imperfect church, the cross was the thing that Paul preached. The cross is the answer. And when I say the cross, here's what I mean. It's the gospel, the message that Jesus came and lived a sinless life and gave his life on the cross and died in our place for our sin and rose from the dead. Paul, this is what he's meaning. I am preaching Christ and him crucified. So you and I must Look to the cross daily, to daily come back to a full place, to that place of full surrender and soaking in the saving work of Jesus that the cross has accomplished for us. Because it's the message of the cross that cuts through all of the noise in our lives. Everything in us that says, I need to be better, I need to work harder, I need to do this, or I'm not good enough, or I am, no one cares for me, or no one loves me, or it's the cross cuts through all of that noise to say, no, you, you, excuse me, you are loved by God enough that he sent his only son to die for you. And it cuts through all of this to say, no, you don't, you don't and you can't earn your way to God Jesus has done everything. This message cuts through all the noise in our lives because the cross is the power of God and the power of the Christian life 
power of living out what Jesus has called us to do and the power of like in the church and in ministry in our lives, the power of that is in the cross and not in us. And so we must daily come back to say, I'm reminding myself, I'm remembering where all of this starts and where all of this ends in Jesus and what he has done and accomplished. The gospel, the cross, is the beginning and the end of our, of our faith. One pastor said it like this, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the entire alphabet. We cannot get past the cross and what Jesus has done because it's the center of our faith. Look to the cross. My encouragement to you is make that practical. Don't let that just be something that is said in a sermon, but that when you get up in the morning, when you go for a run, when you are in the shower, when you're eating a meal, that you're remembering the cross, what Jesus has done. Secondly, be available. I've heard it said before, God is looking for your availability, not your capability. God is looking for a humble heart of surrender. He's not looking for impressive intellect or skills. So are you available to God? Have you said, God, here I am. Use my life in any way that you choose. Sometimes it's a daily thing, but coming to God and saying, God, I'm yours. Whatever you want to do in me, whatever you want to do through me, God, I am available. Because God is not looking for, he's not saying, well, I could use you, but you need to get a little smarter first, or you need to get a little better first. God is saying, no, come to me with a heart that's available. You remember the story in the Gospels of the, when Jesus fed the 5,000 this illustrates this so beautifully because, you know, there's this crowd of people and this boy came up and the disciples are like, well, we found this boy and he's got five loaves of bread and two fish, right? And so this illustrates this. He didn't have enough, but he was available. The boy was like, here, take it. This is what I've got. It's yours. He was available and willing. So what is God calling you to do? Maybe as you think about it, you think, man, it's crazy. I don't know how to do that. I'm not, I don't know enough. I'm not capable of this. Maybe God's calling you to share the gospel with a friend or a neighbor. Maybe God's calling you to give generously to someone. Maybe to serve someone or to serve in some way that's maybe difficult. Maybe God is calling you to, to one day become a pastor or a church planter or be part of helping plant a church or start a ministry. Or maybe God is calling you to take the gospel to people who have never heard in a place in the world where it's difficult to be. And you could sit here today and say, I can't even get my mind around it. And that's okay because God's not looking for you to have your mind around it. God is looking for your heart that's available that says, here I am. God, wherever you want to lead me, wherever you want to take me, be available. Do we have hearts that are available to whatever God wants to do in us? Number three, find comfort in knowing that God uses the weak. This is a good thing because we are weak, we're foolish, we don't have it all together, and yet God uses the weak things so that he is glorified. All throughout the Bible, we see the stories of broken and sinful and imperfect and insignificant men and women who God used to accomplish his plans. If you're familiar with the Bible and some of the, some of the accounts in the Bible, we have this story of this guy named Gideon in the book of Judges. And Gideon, he was the, the weakest in his family. He was not a warrior. He was fearful, and yet God used him to accomplish his purposes. Think about King David. 
He was the youngest. He was overlooked when the prophet Samuel came and was going to anoint the king. David wasn't even there. And Samuel comes and is like, okay, it must be this oldest son, right? And then he goes down the line and they're like, do you have any other sons? And they're like, well, yeah, there's one more, but he's watching the sheep right now. Like, go get him, right? And David, the youngest, the weakest, essentially, in the family comes and God uses him. And then later, David sins and messes up royally and God uses him. There's a story in the the Bible of a guy named Balaam. You remember what happened with Balaam? Balaam Balaam was uh, sent with a message and was kind of ignoring it and rebelling against God, and God used Balaam's donkey to speak to him, right? Think about that. If God can use a donkey to speak, God can use you and I, right? (laughs) That's the point. (laughs) The disciples, think about the disciples. Many of them were uneducated. Many of them were fishermen, By the world's perspective, they had no business being the ones that would be the foundation of the early church. And yet God used those that were weak and unqualified by the world's standards and overlooked. And so, today, we can find comfort in knowing that God uses ordinary people. God uses those that many times the world would overlook. So find comfort. And finally, Be thankful for your weakness. You might say, really? Be thankful for my weakness? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul exemplifies this as he writes about the suffering he's facing. If you know that in in chapter 12 and verses 1 through 8, Paul's talking about something that's going on in his life, and he says it's a thorn in the flesh. And it's something that is difficult. And he says, I pleaded with God to take it away, but he doesn't. And it comes to verse 9 and says, but he said to me, and God is talking to Paul here, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And we can read that and be like, Paul, what is wrong with you? You take pleasure in the weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties? That is backwards. But what Paul is showing us here is Paul is living out this core message of what he wants to tell the Corinthians. That God uses those things that are weak. We rejoice in our weaknesses because it is through them that God shows his greatness and his power. God shows his glory through our weaknesses because it's not about us. It's not about drawing attention to us. It's about attention being put on God. And so what what seems so backwards to us, we look to God and we say, thank you. Thank you that I am weak because my weakness leads me straight to you. Every day I'm dependent. God, I can't, but you can. And so it seems so backwards. It seems so strange to say, God, thank you. But imagine your life if you had everything figured out and you had no need for God or you thought you had no need for God, right? It would be a mess. We, we are self-centered and broken and prideful. It would be a mess. And so this idea of saying that, God, I'm thankful that I don't have it all figured out because you're going to show your power. You're going to be noticed through me. God uses what seems foolish to demonstrate his power. Back to Lord of the Rings. We are all hobbits. 
we're limited, we're weak, we're unimpressive, we're broken by sin. But it is God's good plan that he is glorified through people like you and I. We think about the story of Jesus, Jesus himself The gospel shows us this, that Jesus, who had all power and authority, willingly humbled himself and became weak and stepped out of heaven and took on flesh. He humbled himself. He was born in a manger. He was born in this forgotten place. To the world, it looked like foolishness. The world would say, no, kings are born in palaces. We're looking for the impressive. We're looking for the, you know, the royal, the royalty. And yet Jesus came in humility. And he died on the cross, the death of a criminal. And to the world, they looked, and the world looks and says, it's foolishness, this is absurd, it doesn't make sense. What does this have to do with you? But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Because on the cross, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God towards our sin. He took the place of our punishment that we deserved and he rose from the dead, and sin and death have been defeated. If we look back at verse 30, this is what we have through Jesus. It says, It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. This is what we have. That we, through Jesus, broken, sinful people like us can be made right with God, and we have to come to grips with saying, I'm sinful. I'm not enough. I cannot get to God on my own. But through Jesus, I can be made right with God. Through Jesus, I can be brought into the presence of God, redeemed out of my brokenness and sin. There's freedom in that because we don't have to impress God. We don't have to earn our own way to him. We simply come. Come to him with the empty hands of faith saying, I recognize that I am sinful and that my sin separates me from God. I put my faith in Jesus, the one who is in the presence of God, who is with God, who never ran away from God, who died in my place and rose from the dead. I put my faith in Jesus as the only way to God. So maybe this morning, that needs, you need to do that. You need to put your faith in Jesus for the first time and say, I, I recognize the weight of my sin, that I'm separated from God. And if that's true this morning, you, you simply come to God and, and acknowledge, I'm sinful. And you put your faith in Jesus to forgive you of your sin and make you right with God. And we would love to talk with you about that if you have questions. But maybe this morning you are a Christian, and maybe this morning it just needs to be that reminder of, look to the cross. I've gotten so stuck in trying to figure it out, to make things work, to, to be pleasing to God. But what really needs to happen is I just come with, again with the empty hands of faith to say, God, I need you. You are the one who does the work because God uses what seems foolish to demonstrate his power. Let's close in prayer. Again, this morning, if you have questions or want to reach out to us, we invite you to do that. If you want to reach out and, you know, maybe if if you're here in the room or watching online, if you just need to talk with someone this week, if you have questions about your faith or if you want questions about the sermon and you want to talk with one of the pastors over Zoom, reach out to us. We are available to you Um, in, in all that we do. We look to Jesus and we find our hope in him. Let's pray together.